This is Recognize, a podcast about the NHL's black and biracial hockey heroes, proudly supported by eBay Canada. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spare change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. Jamal Mayers was born in Toronto in 1984. He played for the St. Louis Blues, Toronto Maple Leafs, Calgary Flames, San Jose Sharks, and the Chicago Blackhawks. I had a great chat with our next guest, Jamal Myers. He was a Ford who played in the NHL from 1996 to 2012, which is a really long time to play in the NHL. Jamal told me the secret to his longevity was the incredible shape he kept his body in. Jamal made a point of being very appreciative of the sacrifices fellow black players like Tony McKegney and Claude Bilgren made as trailblazers so that he and others had someone to look up to in making it to the NHL. Okay, so Jamal, it's great to have you on the My Hockey Hero podcast. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's great. I've just got a photo here. Just going to bring up here. I've got a uh, card from your Western uh, Michigan days. Must bring back some good memories on both sides. Oh, yeah. Wow. And I also wanted to show you a picture of of your uh, rookie card here with – St. Louis. So I'm just uh, wanting you to just reflect for a moment uh, what comes to mind when you see the rookie card with St. Louis Blues. It kind of just makes me think back to all the sacrifices that you made and your family made to, to get you to that point. And back then, I don't know if it's that's the case now for a kid that's probably be, being in a, in a video game, but for a young kid who grew up in the 80s, I think having a hockey card was kind of the, the benchmark and you knew you made it. So Kind of cool to get one in college, but even better to have uh, an NHL rookie card. Yeah, and I assume you've seen both cards over the years? Oh, yeah. So I'm going to start out with first uh, taking us back to your uh, earlier years in hockey, but first want to acknowledge you had a very, very long, successful career starting in 1996 with a rookie with St. Louis Blues and then lasting until 2012-13 and then culminating with the Stanley Cup with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, what was the secret to your longevity? Well, it's a great question. I think that the longevity piece, I would say that I always pride myself on being in great shape. And even at 38, my last year, I I like to think I was one of the most fit guys at, at training camp. So I always, I, I always thought that that wasn't a way that you could get noticed, separate yourself. And, and actually that was at the beginning. And then, Over time, I think that uh, you kind of just figure out all the different pieces that make a team and everyone has a role. And I think accepting that role was part of that longevity piece and digging in and taking pride in that role. And, And really, a lot of guys, I think, may have a difficult time with that part. So I think that I enjoyed my role. Being a third, fourth line energy guy, killing penalties, sticking up for your teammates now and again. Over time, I've realized that there's value in that. And I think that I just dug into it and, and took pride in it. 
Yeah, and how you recap that role, that's how I would um, recall seeing you a strong 2A player, um, not just a fighter, like a, a well-rounded player, third, fourth line that contributes, and uh, as you said, energy player. So I think those players, as you said, you have to have those players on every team, and I think you serve that role uh, remarkably over your career. I want to check uh, one of our previous guests, Darren Lowe, he said he had a bit of a family connection with you. Does that ring a bell? Darren Lowe, the former UFT uh, head coach and first black player to play for the national team in the Olympics. Absolutely. Yeah, Darren's parents lived across the street from my grand grandma, and I believe my mom used to babysit him. And so, you know, I probably was three or four years old at that time. But yeah, our whole family knows their family. and. I uh, kept watching his career grow and grow over the years. And, you know, it's, it's example like his that where, you know, I thought, you know what, this might be possible. And I think that there was a connection there and, and he was a great example of someone that lived across the street that looked like I did that, that, that played at a high, at the highest level. So it was uh, definitely looked up to him for sure. Yeah. And I imagine, uh, you know, uh, me growing up, just uh, slightly before you, we just kind of played as Canadians, but the fact that you've got someone looks just like you probably normalizes even more so the fact that uh, your entry point to the game. So I can appreciate that. Yeah, I think that it's, you know, what the reality is, is that you have to see it to believe it's possible. And I always am just dumbfounded by the ones that were first because there weren't any examples for them or that it was possible. So as few as there were when, when I grew up, there were examples of, of guys that played and that that were doing it at the highest level. For me, it was Grant Fuhrer and Tony McKegney and Claude Vilgrain and, and just so many different guys that, you know, and then it was Jerome and, you know, my peers. And, you know, we had a, a lot of guys around my age that kind of, played as well. So it was, you know, Anson and Carter as well. So there's tons of guys that, that were in our age group right around the, the 50, 50 yeah. they're about 50 years old right now that were doing it and Mike Greer and played against him in college. So there was more and more examples, but I think without those examples for me, I don't, I don't think I would have really thought it was possible. And it probably would have stopped me from, from pursuing it if I'm being honest. It just seemed to just take one or two, as you say, right, to, for that uh, that encouragement to know it's possible. And uh, we're hoping to have Anson on in a, in a few weeks uh, as well. Uh, Darren told me that he starts supply teaching, and he remembers uh, one of his first weeks as a teacher. Anson Carter was there looking through some sports hockey magazine or whatever, and Darren remembers teaching him. It's just a, a neat story. That can That's unreal. Yeah. That's unreal. Yeah. So I want to just jump to your first experiences in hockey. Can you tell us if you recall when you first started skating and and uh, how did you learn to skate and who supported you? Yeah, well, I grew up in a single parent house until um, my mom remarried when I was met my stepdad when she was when I was about twelve. Um, but up until that point, it was just my mom and my brother and I. My brother is six years older, so anything he was doing, I wanted to do as well. Um, we moved quite a bit growing up, but growing up in the city, there was tons of tennis courts that they turn into, just flood it down and turn into ice rinks. And that's where we started skating and would skate all the time. So 
there's a ton tons of nights cold days and, and nights skating out, outside in Toronto for sure. So were you engaged in many other sports uh, at the time as a young person? You said you didn't start really getting hockey till 10. Were you pursuing other sports? Yeah, I played everything from running track to playing volleyball, basketball. Um, I enjoyed all sports as a kid. So I didn't really play like baseball or soccer or anything like that. But anything that the school was having or allowed you to be a part of, that was definitely, I was definitely involved. So those experiences, did they uh, feed into your development of your recollection when you started playing 10 in terms of just understanding sport and, and being competitive in hockey? Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that if you were to talk to anybody who played against me, even growing up, they would say that, you know, I've, and it's probably a commonality with all athletes is that, you know, I was super competitive in, in everything. And then, and I think that that, drive and that passion is just who I was and who who I am today you know I coach 10 and 11 year olds right now so um, getting them to dig into their their standard of, of of compete some of them come by it naturally fortunately I did uh, but I also think you can learn you can learn it but I think that that came easy to me it's true that you are in different roles in other sports sometimes you're the lead player or the the defensive player and get forced in other, other uh, experiences. So I can see there being real merit to what you, uh, what you gain as a young person, in different sports. Um, any names you recall from that time playing younger that eventually ended up playing NHL that were teammates of yours or players you played against? Wow. Okay. So, well, I played double a pretty much the whole way up, but I played for the Lee side Kings, double uh, a all the way till Bantam. No one really made it from that double A team. But prior to playing double A, I played when I started, I played house league at George Bell. One of my teammates was Anders Salming, whose dad was Boris Salming. So when we were like nine or ten years old, we were buddies. And so it was kind of cool to be friends with him and go over to his house and his dad had played the night before and it was you know, a real life person that played in the NHL was was really neat and, and their family was so nice. Um, to be around. Um, and then growing up, I, I would think that the first time that when I played for Don Mills as a Bantam was my first introduction to AAA, but that was my first time where I played against guys like Mike Pekka and Billy Bowler and Anson Carter was on my team. So if you just take that singular look at that season and all those teams that we played against, I, I can assure you that the Red Wings alone had three or four guys that played in the NHL. Mike Pekka, I think I just mentioned him, but every team had a, a handful of guys that played at some point. But again, I wasn't in that that ecosystem long enough to know all those names. Um, They're probably thinking, "How the heck did he make it? He only played one year of AAA." So, because after that year, I ended up for different reasons playing Tier Two Junior A for Thornhill, and I didn't play okay. I didn't play midget AAA. So. Um, yeah, took a different path. Well, it's important for listeners to understand that pathway like yours and um, so many others that everyone sometimes thinks that's by double A, P way, that's a trajectory and people develop and develop their skills and hone different, different parts of their game at different stages and grow bigger and stronger and mentally focused. So it, it's great news to sort of hear about the pathway of your your uh, you know, commitment, persistence, and just kept working at it to emerge. 
I think I had read before about some circumstances that led you being on the Junior B team in Thornhill. Yeah. You want to walk us through? Sure. Yeah. So at the time, one of my really good friends, Drew Olenek, was playing for the um, Young Nats, Toronto Young Nats. And so we moved from Toronto to Mississauga, and I went from De La Salle High School to Arendelle. And with us only having one car and it was just going to be really difficult, it was going to make a lot more sense for our family for me to just switch to the Young Nats. They wanted me to come to their team. And then Drew and I could carpool together and, and it would make life easier for our family because we both live literally like five minutes from each other. Well, Don Mills would not give me my release. And so here we are. August goes by, no release. September goes by, no release. October starts, season starts, no release. We have a hearing with the MTHL and Don Mills Flyers win and I don't get to switch teams, which was ironic because I was a good player, but I wasn't this, I think maybe yeah. it was more precedent setting perhaps, but very disappointing that they wouldn't let a 14-year-old just switch teams and it doesn't make sense to me. We weren't trying to build a superpower. It just made more sense for our family. However, having just sat around for a little bit, I ended up, my mom was a law clerk at a law firm called Fulgur Rubinoff. And one of the lawyers there was friends with a gentleman who he did business with that uh, was with Tridel, the, the commercial building company. Well, they had recently owned and part were only owned a tier two junior A team called Thornhill Thunderbirds. So through that connection, they said, well, you can go skate with these guys. And at least it's somewhere for you to practice and and, and to do that. So as a 15-year-old, I went out and skated with them. And I skated with them for like three weeks. And actually the coach at the time um, taught us, Scott McClellan, who was a former third-round pick to the Bruins. He was like, well, we want we want you just to play here. And so I went from trying to switch teams to the Young Nats to skipping midget all the way all together and playing Tier 2 Junior A for Thornhill Thunderbirds. And uh, that year was, was a difficult year, the transition, because you're playing against 17, yeah, 18, and 19-year-olds. Yeah. Um, and I did okay. I think I had like 25 points. But that second year, I, I really took off and, and, and had a real offensive explosion. Um, of a season. So it was, was pretty cool, pretty cool experience. Uh, that two year period was probably the turning point for me, for my career. Okay. And we should ask you what positions you were playing throughout your childhood. Was that forward transition or, uh, and th- like, were you always a forward? I was always a forward. Yeah. Oh, was, okay. Uh, okay. If you saw me skating backwards, you'd see, you'd, you'd know okay. that I'm a forward. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I was always a center or right. I was always a center or wing. Okay. Played center all the way up until my junior year of college. Yeah. So looking back now, and you can tell us what that led to for the next stage with Western Michigan, but did that sort of accelerate your skill development or overall play development, the fact you landed in the junior B team versus the AAA? What? I, it. It, I think what it what it did was it forced me to to learn the game quicker. It forced me to work harder for every inch. Um, but I think it also, when you have those little successes, it starts to make you think like, okay, I can do this. 
it's probably the real turning point where I, the belief system started to kick in where I thought, you know what, I can, I can play at this level. I can more than just play at this level. And I'm a year younger. Um, yeah. And so I just came in that second year with just a ton of confidence in the preseason. I had over, I know I had like two, at least two points a game. We brought in uh, Jeff O'Neill was there that my second year. Okay. In that following year, to give you perspective, he led our team in scoring, but he, that I was second. He was a 15 or 16, 15 year old. He got drafted first overall in the OHL coming out of there. Right. So seeing him doing it, uh, me having success, it really just, we fed off of each other in that regard. And I think seeing him having a ridiculous offensive season. Hmm. And I thought to myself, well, he's a year younger. Like I should be doing that too. It gave me confidence to dominate as well. Um, yeah. So I think a combination of all those things happening at the same time. Um, okay. I think without him coming there, maybe that doesn't happen for me, but I think the success that he had right away, I was like, "Whoa, he's a year younger and he's having all the success. Why can't I do it? Cause yeah. I felt like I could do a lot of the things he, not obviously he's a first round pick and well ended up having an amazing offensive career but i could see that i had some of that too yeah well it a good turn of events i guess when you're looking back in terms of how that all went down i guess your preference would have been at the time to go for the uh the triple a team but just a different different trajectory because of that If you're enjoying Recognize and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay. eBay is all about connecting communities and feeling passions. Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. You mentioned Jeff O'Neill, you mentioned OHL. So how do you land um in western michigan versus were you were you actually considered for the ontario hockey league as well or yeah i was drafted by kingston i had told them that i was going to school i think i was drafted in the seventh round but i knew that i wasn't going to be a high pick even if i'd chosen to go to the ohl i probably would have landed somewhere in the third or fourth round i think if that's what i recall and because of that i was like i need to go to school and it wasn't just me saying that it was my mom. Like there's an opportunity to go get your education. I was drafted by Kingston and I think I went for the 24 hours, but didn't get on the ice and maintain my eligibility and, and um, decided that I would go to school and everything worked out. So uh, Western Michigan also turns out to be uh, same school. It's one of our early guests, Bernie Saunders. Uh, brother John Saunders yeah. went to Western Michigan, told us about his uh, challenges and things he got over and, and how Western Michigan ended up being a real success story for him. So that's a neat connection for you too. And yes. uh, so then tell us about it's 19, uh, early 1990s. What's it like being a black player playing for Western Michigan? Well, I'll be honest with you. I think that, you know, looking in, when I got there, well, on my visit, and you're looking on the wall, and you look in the 70s, and, and you saw I saw the pictures of those guys, and they stick out right with their afros in the picture, and I'm like, wow, like there was these guys played here 15 years before I, I I got here, like so I felt like there there was a sense of like 
I could fit in here and this is a place that could be good for me. Not to mention they really liked me. They wanted to take me a year early. I, I fast-tracked high school. So I did two yeah. years of high school in the same year. So I could, I could go to school. I have a late birth date. So I went to college at 17. You know, I think other schools wanted me to wait till my actual year to go. But with Western, I already played two years of junior. I already, you know, I dominated and I was like, okay, I don't want to go back to junior. I want to go to college next year. And so fortunately, Western was one of those places that was going to allow that to happen. And so in going there, we had, uh, we had a great class. I think that we were, if you look at the tenure of my, my, my class, it went in at 92. We made it to the tournament twice. I don't, I don't know if any class has done that since the tournament, meaning like the top 12 teams at the end of the season. Um, we tied for the, the league, the lead in the, in the CCHA with University of Michigan my senior year. My first year, I was okay. I thought I had an okay season. I ended up with 25 points. Now you look back on it, I had 25 points in, in what, 34 games? Yeah, 38 it's, games. It's yeah. pretty good. Uh, but when you're in it, you're like, oh, it's not very good because I just had <laughs> over a point a game, right? So yeah. I was pretty disappointed yeah. in that. But my sophomore year, I was lucky. I got to play with Colin Ward, whose brother uh, played for the Buffalo Sabres. And, and we wasn't a very good skater, but he sure could score goals. And so I was more of a passer back then. So my okay. sophomore year was probably my coming out party offensively because um, I could skate, make make plays, and he could shoot the puck. So we had a good combination uh, there and had my best offensive season, I believe, my set, my sophomore year, led the team okay. in scoring um, because of that. So um, it, it, I think that – then that's – so after, you have to understand like how it all happens chronologically – after that soft freshman year, I get drafted. So now I'm drafted. I feel confident I got drafted in 89th overall. I was hoping I get higher, picked higher, but fourth round, not bad. Um, and so that confidence helped me to that second year. Okay. You know, because prior to that, I, I just thought I was going to get my education. And That's right. Go get a job. So yep. get, now that I got drafted, I'm like, whoa, this might be possible. So then that amplifies your training in the summer and, your belief system. And so that second year uh, turned out, turned out to be my best year. And, and I think that, you know, the next two years after that, we're pretty close to, but uh, it was definitely that getting drafted, I think gave me that confidence. And then, you know, playing against guys that got drafted in the first round, I'm like, I'm just as good as that guy. Kevin Adams got drafted in the first round of Boston. I'm like, I think I'm better than him. Like, sure. So you start to think like, okay, I think I can do this. Yeah. Well, I know it's not the case nowadays, but you put in a full four, uh, full four solid years in, which has got to be, um, you know, important to know when to leave. So you did your d- degree, I imagine, you're close to it. Yeah, and I did. You're done, and and then you then you join and get drafted. You're already being drafted, like you said. So it's gravy on, I, I, icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah, that you did. That you end up going to St. Louis in 1996. Ended up um, f- finishing my degree. I was going to leave after my junior year, but I'm glad I stayed. Ended up graduating uh, on time, which was not easy, but I'm glad I, you know, you have to go a couple springs to make sure you can get enough credit hours and make it happen. So definitely proud of that accomplishment to get it done. Um, I wasn't, if I'm being honest, I wasn't ready to leave early. I mean, I went, no. to, I went to school at 17. I was turned 21 during my senior year. Like I missed one year technically pro if I, if I had gone junior. So 
and I, and I end up with a degree. So I think I came ahead, even if I go play two years in the minors and never make it, I have my degree in my pocket and I can go do something with it. So it was definitely the right decision to stay. I'm glad I finished. And once again, my mom was right. Stay in school okay. and finish. <laughs> well, people talk about going early and it's great. You have a contract, but then if you haven't developed enough as a player, you might be jeopardizing your long career, right? So it sounds like you had the great mix of success with the team and honing your skills and maturity. And then um, you land with St. Louis. So if I look at your career again, just uh, sharing with our listeners, you started in 1996 with St. Louis and then you move uh, you know, a few short stints with uh, the AHL in 1996, 97, and, but it's mostly a solid career all the way through <laughs> the, yeah. different stops here and there, but that's to, to go that long of a career. That's really remarkable. So I want to uh, ask you then about that first experience and playing your first NHL game. If you could just share your memories of that. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty surreal thing, how quickly it happened to be honest with you. I played six years in the minors and then I got called up. So I get called up and Mike Keenan's a coach of the blues at the time. And, you know, you'd heard all these horror stories and such. So I was just nervous just to be there and, and, and be around. So, um, he doesn't really talk to you. He doesn't tell you what he's expecting of you. You just kind of like morning skate lunch, and then you're playing in the game. And quite frankly, he didn't talk to me for like three games. So, um, I think that was just him trying to test, test you out and see how you'd respond. But, um, just an absolute thrill to to see your jersey hanging up and in the stall with with Brett Hall and Al McInnes and Jeff Cortnall and Grant Fuhrer and just a plethora of, of of players that I watched on TV that were in the locker room and so really neat um, to play your first game to be a part of it Pr- pretty much a blur I'm not sure how well I played but um, it, it was just nice to get out there and 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 really soak it all in and just try to enjoy it, stay in the moment. Yeah. So I, I have uh, on record here, it's just 1996, you played six games of the Blues, and then you're in AHL, back with the Blues in 1998 for 34, between then the AHL, and then it seems like you solidified your place, 1999. So what was different in 1999? Well, with Keenan there, they had called guys up and down so much that my second year pro – I don't even know if they called anyone up. Maybe just because of injuries, they might have called someone up. So literally, I didn't get called up at all. It didn't matter what I was doing. They they wanted some stability organizationally, and they did not want this feeling for the big club that that was happening. So, And rightfully so, I needed time to develop and, and so forth. So the challenge came in my third training camp when I trained all summer. The previous playoffs, I ended up breaking my wrist my skate for it and I didn't know it. So I go to training camp my third year and um, come to find out that they take an x-ray. I say, my wrist is still bugging me from the playoffs last year in the minors. And they said, let's take an x-ray. Well, I'll take an x-ray and it's broken. So I've been training with it all summer and it's broken. So I go to the GM and I say, well, listen, I'm still doing the testing, the bench press, all the testing. I've been training with it all summer. I'll have surgery next week, but I want you guys to see how hard I work to make this team. They said, okay. So I did the testing, crushed the testing and all the bent, all the metrics for fitness uh, with a broken wrist. And I think that showed them like, well, this guy's, uh, you know, really wants it. 
And so um, I went again and I asked the GM, Larry Plow at the time, I said, listen, if I go to Worcester to rehab, you guys have way more resources here. Pay me my minor league salary. Let me stay in St. Louis, the hotel, and let me train every day with on my own. I'll stay in be like I'm in the minors, but I'm going to be here. They don't have the resources you guys have here. And he, he agreed to it. So I literally, they saw how hard I worked in the gym every day. And I didn't play my first game till after Christmas that year. I go, I was finally healthy. I was skating with a parachute. I was running. I was riding on the bike. I was just killing myself. But I knew they would be watching. Uh, they would be seeing me do all this. And that was my strategy. I wanted them to know how bad I wanted it. So then I went to the minors. I played 19 games in the minors, contributed well offensively, and then they called me up, and I never went back. Yeah, a lot of hurdles and a lot of um, like stick to itness to it to you to have that vision to stay disciplined to to know you can you can you're gonna keep fighting until you get there right it can't can't be easy. You know that's part of just my makeup. I think that, uh, but if I'm being honest, I had given myself. The three years I signed a three-year contract, I had a, had a two-way deal, one, one, uh, but I was not going to p- play a career in the minors. Like, yeah, I gave myself three years to make it, and so yeah. if I didn't make it, I would say, you know what, I left it all out there, wasn't in the cards, and I would have went to grad school and, and done right. something else. So, um, fortunately, it worked. It worked out, and and. One thing I am proud of is I never waived and I never went back down to the minors. Yeah. So that, that to me is, is a pretty cool accomplishment. Um, even when you're older, that, uh, that, that never happened. That's right. So I want to make sure we get to some things with our time uh, left with you. Um, you talked about the importance of representation uh, before, and uh, I just wanted to touch on reflecting upon, um, your, um, are you optimistic about the way we are heading right now in terms of uh, the focus on trying to um, find safe spaces for people in hockey that are minorities and racialized individuals. And maybe talk about um, overall, how are your experiences in your journey from minor hockey, college and NHL and on and off the ice, if there's anything that you want to share with listeners and then looking forward, what are, what are the things that you're proud of that uh, changes are being made? Yeah. Were there challenges that I faced growing up and, and f- from 10 years old to going to college and through college into pro? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that my brother told me early on was like, if you really want to piss off those people that are saying those things to you, go score another goal. And so I never fought. I never got in a fight once until my, I was in the minors. So if I was a goal scorer. I was a point, I was going to get points. So um, that would, to me was the way to, to make them even more angry. So I use it as fuel. Having said that, all those things that may have happened over the over those years, I've got a pretty thick skin and I'm resilient enough. The part that does bother me over the years is like I think back to the kids that were 14 or 15 that that didn't have the ability to do that, they would have walked away from the game. And there's probably hundreds of kids like that that were had the potential to be just as good or better. But you know, that was not a safe place for them. And their parents probably made the decision, we're not doing this. And and that part, I can't go back and change. It's unfortunate. 
Um, but yes, and that's what made the, me leaning into some of this work that I'm doing now at the PIC and the NHL Player Inclusion Coalition is that I've realized through doing this work uh, is that I had to endure it, but we got to make the steps that so the kids after the kids now don't have to endure those types of things. I think that's the most important thing for me. The one thing I am encouraged about is that I do believe that today's players, and I'm talking about the kids in their 20s, are much more aware of what's going on. Their world is much more connected. Even if they're from a small town like Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, they all have cell phones. They all have social media. They all follow what the NBA is doing. They know way more about other sports than we ever did. And so they're much more connected to the outside world, even though they might live in a really small town in Canada. And so it's not like they're coming to Calgary's training camp and they've never seen a black person. Like They've seen it on their phone. They're a friend of a friend of a friend. And so they're much more connected. So I think that, to me, is a great opportunity because these kids that are playing in the NHL now, they want to be allies. They want to stand up and say the right thing. They want to be educated. They want to be a part of the solution going forward. And sometimes it's it's the it's the adults in the room that mess it up, right? Sometimes it's the infrastructure of minor hockey, the infrastructure of the higher levels of hockey that are more inept at changing, more inept at, at, at evolving. But my hope is that parents out there look and say, you know what? That's a safe and nurturing place for my kid to try something new where he can he or she can grow and have fun. And then you can really enjoy the things that make hockey great. And that's the resilience you learn, the work ethic, the teamwork, the camaraderie, following your dreams, the ability to fall and get back up, all those qualities that you want in your kids uh, that I learned through hockey. I think every kid should have that opportunity. And my hope is that we continue to push that forward so that kids feel like it's a safe place. Thank, thanks for sharing that. I also want to um, probe further that um, sometimes there's a misunderstanding that, um, you know, race and a correlation with, uh, with not as much wealth might be a barrier. However, you've lived in both countries and you see, all the athletes of different racialization backgrounds in the U S. So I think what, what you're saying is, you know, and, and, and I haven't lived in the United States that you have, but it sounds, seems like, again, there's missed opportunities for inviting people to the game. Uh, when you compare to other sports in the U S in terms of who plays those games. Yeah, Dean, that's a great point. And that's a point that I've been making for the last 10 years, probably is that I see there's two buckets. There's a philanthropic bucket. And then there's the bucket of the families that actually have the means uh, to play as well. And I think our sport has failed in both. And, and so what I mean by that is that sometimes you're right. We always think of like, you know, the BIPOC community, it's because they can't afford it. That's why they're not playing. Well, I can assure you, I have friends who own hotels, African-American families here in, in St. Louis that own hotels and own McDonald's and, and have plenty of money. I also and friends with um, Dave Stewart III, who is one of the richest African-Americans in the entire United States. Uh, and his son uh, has no desire and had no desire to play hockey. 
obviously had the means. He's a billionaire. So we are a sport are doing a poor job in making those families who can actually afford it feel like it's a safe and nurturing place for the kid to grow and have fun and play sports and play the yeah. game. And so, and so it's really important that we do both. Um, that we make sure we're doing, we're giving kids a touch point so they can try it. And we're also creating a safe place for them to continue, but also the families that can't afford it. Like, what are we doing to make them feel welcome and feel part of it? That's right. And everything doesn't have to be about the NHL. Ultimately, that'd be great to change the representation. But if you just take a snapshot of minor hockey across both countries, you can tell who's playing the game. Exactly. Exactly. So I want, I want to just shift back, wrapping up a few things here. Just tell us about your experience winning the Stanley Cup with Chicago. And I, and I read that the players petitioned to have your name on the cup. Maybe you could just shed some light on that for us. Yeah. Um, it was pretty, pretty neat year. My first year in Chicago, I played 80 games uh, out of the 82. We ended up losing in the first round to, to Phoenix. It was pretty disappointing, obviously, to lose to the Coyotes. Um, the year before that, they had won the cup in 2010. And so this, this was a young, young, hungry group that we ended up going undefeated the first 20, I believe, 26 games of the season after the lockout had ended in 2013. And so we knew we had a special group. Going into that playoff was pretty cool, but we ended up down three games to one to, to Detroit. And we found a way to win that series and, and continue to go on. And we felt like after that series that we were pretty much destined to, 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 to do it again. So, you know, I took every warm up. I didn't play in, in the, in the playoffs, unfortunately. Um, but certainly was, was around the team a lot and played half, not quite half the games because it was a shortened season. I played 19, I think. Half would have been 21, but Jonathan Taze is known for making that comment that if he has to not put captain on there and make sure my name's on the cup, come to find out that all it really took was, was Stan Bowman to say, we, you know, we want Jamal Mares' name to be on the cup, and, and I'm forever grateful for that. So um, grateful for, for to the Hawks that, that they made that happen, and and uh, pretty neat uh, that that's what, the way it went down. Yeah, a well, fantastic way to wrap up your career. And uh, maybe you can just share with the listeners what you're up to now um, with your work. Because we saw you on Canadian television last year. Are you still doing the work here? Are you in the U.S.? Tell us yeah. what you're up to. Yeah, so i still working in the community with the St. Louis Blues, helping activate some of their school visit things and learn to plays and, and a North City Blues program that we have, um, which is amazing. It had so many kids that are enjoying the game that would never have the chance to do it. I'm also doing TV at Sportsnet again this year. I'll be there every Tuesday and Wednesday. So you can watch Wednesday Night Hockey, and I'll be out there. I'll be there in the studio and uh, enjoying uh, being an analyst. And what a great team we have working with uh, at Sportsnet. They've been awesome so far, and I'm really enjoying my time there. Well, this has been uh, awesome, Jamal, getting to know your story better and being able to share with our listeners and a lot of different intersections of different people that you've known and crossed along the way. And it is, as we know, a really even tighter, small community amongst the black and biracial players. So. It's nice to see uh, the impact you're having at all levels of the game and the vision you have with your other uh, colleagues for moving the game forward and making it very inclusive. So thank you very much to be on the show. Maybe we'll be able to to um, connect with you again in the future and talk a little further, but thank you very much. Thanks, Tim, for having me. appreciate it. We're proud to be working with Hockey Equality. Hockey Equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey. By lowering financial barriers, 
for BIPOC female and other equity deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the stories shared on this podcast and want to help make hockey accessible to all, check out hockeyequality.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to share this story with your kids, then check out My Hockey Hero. It's shorter and suitable for the whole family. You can click the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Podstarter production. production.